Hello and welcome to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have your company as we continue our explorations of a series that we've entitled a holiness a movement. And the premise of this entire series is to say that uh, the scripture highlights over and over again that we are called to a brand of Christianity that Jesus embodied, that he taught it to his followers and he died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this Holiness that God intended for us before the world began. Holiness, as we explained, is not about ticking boxes and uh, being obligated to, to, to follow particular rules and regulations. It's about a character. It's about a heart. It's about living like Christ in the world. It's about living like Christ in the world. God's greatest dream for us that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. He predestined us. He pre-planned for us that we would uh, be conformed to the image of Christ. In this world, we are like Jesus. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that we ought to manifest the life of Christ in our mortal body. Christianity in a nutshell, the brand that Jesus promoted and lived out and died for, is about restoring the image of God in us and Christ is the invisible image of God. So we live Christ-like lives. Over the last eight sessions or so, I have attempted to provide biblical groundings, biblical foundations to help you understand that we're not just mentioning one passage here and there about the thread of, of holiness throughout the scripture, but we mentioned from Genesis and today up to Revelation that God intends for us to live a godly life in all that we do. Holy like He is holy. We talked about the person of God, the purpose of creation, the plan of redemption, the process and the paths of salvation, our participation in divine nature, the pattern of New Testament believers, the passion of the apostles, the pressing need of our world for us to live a godly life. And today I want to finish this mini series within the big series by talking about our preparation for heaven and that is a motivation that is a a grounding a foundation for why we pursue holiness throughout our life on earth and i believe for many of us the concept of heaven is not necessarily talked about in our christian circles we don't, uh, you know, enjoy uh, speaking about the final judgment and the second coming. Existential uh, philosophy had penetrated our Christian, uh, um, uh, you know, exposition, our, our messages, our communication in Bible studies. And we focus on the here and the now. 
whilst Bible scholars tell us there is 1,845 references of the uh, day of judgment, the end times, the second coming of Jesus throughout the scripture. Uh, they say that every time uh, the, the, there is a mention in the scripture of the first uh, coming of Christ, there is eight mentions of the second coming and alluded to the second coming of Christ. Big deal for Christians, it's, be, it's been their hope. Some Christians, in fact, took it to the absolute extremes and they didn't want to work and they didn't want to do anything because they anticipated the imminent uh, second return of Christ and they just wanted to wait. But throughout all centuries the hope of the church has been the return of Christ he once came to save he now comes to judge as well as to complete uh, the the history of salvation and take us with him forever but if you um, you know have been around Christian for uh, Christians for some time you may know some ideas about uh, heaven uh, from his side today we want to focus on it from the scripture as well as the implication of that reality I actually grew up in a Christian home where the idea of eternity, the idea of Christ's second coming, in fact, the idea of judgment was, uh, was communicated honestly and sincerely based on the scripture. We lived uh, uh, in Cairo and uh, our family was uh, not really open to the idea of TV uh, and uh, given the cultural influences that were happening in my house now, we do have a TV, but we do watch uh, appropriate programs. Back then, uh, we didn't watch any programs whatsoever. Uh, but someone uh, got my dad a, a gift of a, a TV, a small TV like that, in a, in a little cabinet that was locked. And uh, we only brought out the TV for the purpose of watching Christian movies. And somehow I managed to convince my parents to watch some soccer games. And the first movie that we've ever watched, and I was a little kid, I don't remember, I don't remember how old I was, maybe I was eight, nine, ten years old, I don't recall fully. It was called Left Behind. If you've watched that movie, you know for a little kid to watch that movie, it was quite confronting. Uh, several weeks later, I recall waking up. And, um, and, and looking around, I, I woke up in a bit of a, a fright and I was uh, running around because my siblings slept, my two brothers slept in the same room. They weren't there. I go out and I look in the family room. My mom and dad weren't there and they slept late. They wake up early. They weren't there. And somehow I just believe that I was left behind. And I recall running out of the house. I don't have a key to the house. So I don't know how I went back into the house. I may have left the door open in the apartment. But I ran down the street and I'm looking. Is there still people around? The problem 
means everybody I looked at, they were of a different religion. So it wasn't a lot of comfort gained in that little frantic running down the street. The reality is I had come um, exhausted one day from school. So I slept in the afternoon. But by the time I wake up, I thought I wake up in the morning and nobody is there in the house. They must have been all taken, raptured. And I'm the ugly one that was left behind. It was rather traumatic experience. However, for many of us, we have a lot of different experiences concerning heaven. Some of us think of heaven as a pie in the sky. It has no relevance for our life today. Others, they believe it's the opposite place to hell. So they're scared for, you know, about the future. And they say, how can I go to heaven even though I don't care about anything there? And others of us believe it's our eternal home. And it has as a motivation for us today. Well, that is exactly what the New Testament writing provokes within the believers back in the day. Uh, Peter, one of the apostles uh, and disciples of Jesus, uh, wrote a letter to the Christians who were dispersed everywhere. It's known as the second letter of Peter. And he wrote it because he wanted to stimulate spiritual health in the church. He wanted to respond to some of the heresies of false teachers in that who, who are trying to penetrate the church. And he also wanted to provoke hope for the second coming of Jesus and saying this should motivate us to live today. So in uh, uh, obviously it was written around 65 to 67. Uh, Peter was martyred in 68 uh, uh, upside down. He was crucified upside down. But this was probably the last thing that he said uh, to, uh, to the believers at the time. And this is how he approached the whole concept of the second coming and the end of the world. It says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate wholesome thinking. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and, fo and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And uh, the scoffers that appeared uh, in, in those days, they were trying to convince the believers that, the, that, that you know, we've been waiting for this thing, that, that the coming of his promise, but everything is as what it's always been. They, some uh, scholars call them uniformists. Like it's, it's just happening as it is. Like don't worry about it. There's, don't anticipate something that is meant to happen, but it's not really going to happen. You're worrying yourself and, and, and bothering yourself and aligning yourself to a future that is motivating your current actions today. But you know, it might be false altogether. Yet Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Like he can't understand his timing. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. 
Instead, He is patient with you. Why? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So here, Peter is addressing the believers and saying, don't believe the scoffers. The reality is God is keeping His promise, but His timing is unlike our timing. We, we, we're looking at our seconds. It's to Him is like, that's completely different time and mindset for God. But the day of the Lord will come. It will come when we least expect it. Even Jesus said that. He said that, you know, the return will happen at a time when people least expect it. So if you're not believing that Jesus could come now, well, that's a, a, you know, a, a good time that He potentially could come. You know, when they say peace, peace and destruction, uh, you know, overtakes them. So the New Testament tells us that Christ will come and that will begin a, a season, a, a time where different scholars have different interpretation of it, where God will come and, and some people say that He will reign for a thousand years and others say that He will take uh, the church and will begin the, uh, the you know, new heavens and new earth and there will be a judgment, the white throne as, as in Matthew 25, we, we read about that, there will be judgment, there will be uh, people that will live with with God forever and people will be condemned uh, apart from God forever and that's a traumatic uh, uh, place to be and uh, and he's saying uh, the earth as we know it will be completely uh, destroyed and he says it will be destroyed by fire true God said to Noah that he will never destroy the earth by water but he reserves the right to destroy it by fire and it will be completely gone and there will be a new earth and a new heavens. Since, look at what Peter uh, brings the, 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 the doctrines of the second coming to an implication. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Some teachers I, I listen to explain the idea of what kind of people ought you to be. It's like, what other worldly type of people ought you to be? You can't focus on this materialistic world. You can't focus on this world and this earth and put all your treasure in something that will be burnt because that's not good investment. Imagine, imagine with me if you're doing shares. And you have purchased uh, a stack of shares in a particular organization and you've heard some ramblings here and there that this company is going to go bankrupt. And as soon as that, that news is going to get out, you know, your, your share prices are going to basically plummet. It will be worth nothing. You're going to lose thousands and thousands of dollars. You have two options because the prices are starting to go down. You could go and purchase more. Or you could be wise and say, this is not a good end. This is I'm just going to lose some of what I've invested instead of losing everything. I'm going to just sell right now. And this is what Peter saying to them. If you're going to invest in this earth, well, it's going to be burned. That's not very logical investment. Don't place your treasure where there is thieves and the moss will, will ruin it and corrupt it. He's saying, 
there must be an implication of the type of people we ought to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Friends, anybody that tells you that Christianity does not bother about a life of holiness, godliness and righteousness is somebody that is trying to sell you something. It's strong to get you to believe something that is easy. It's strong to get you to buy something that is not worth the amount of money that you're going to pay for it. They're trying to deceive you. The reality is from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to the second creation, God intends for His people to live in righteousness. Even the new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, which has a, a simple implication. The kind of people we ought to be is to be holy and godly people. Isn't that just simply stunning? That should convince every person that is saying you live life as you see fit and God forgives and, and no problem at all and don't be legalistic. It's not about walking a particular walk. It's about confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There is nothing in the scripture that divides and divorce our doctrine from our duties. Nothing from the scripture that promises forgiveness without repentance. Friends from eternity to eternity, God wants His people to live to exhibit His character on earth. Heaven, I want to share a few things about heaven. Heaven and our place. Heaven and our present life. And heaven and our perseverance. Very briefly. Then I saw, that is John, the, um, the, John the Apostle writes in the book of Revelation chapter 21, 1-3. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. This is our place. This is our true home. This is our dwelling place because it's our dad's dwelling place with his people. This is what we long for. This is what we pay for. This is what we invest for. This is what occupies our mind. It's the place, our home, where our heavenly father dwells. It's a place of righteousness. Our uh, stay on earth is simply we are considered foreigners and strangers throughout the New Testament writings. And in that place, there is a group of people who inhabit that place. Who are they? 
Who are they? So that can help us understand God's intention for our pursuit of holiness. He says in 21, Revelation 21, 7 to 8, it says, Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I'll be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I understand that this scripture tells us that we have an identity as the children of God who abide in our daddy's dwelling place. But it also speaks our about our calling. Not anybody that lived any type of way is going to inherit God's eternal kingdom. He's saying those who are unbelieving. And you know what? Most of us, Believing evangelical Christians would say, oh yeah, that's it. It's just the unbelieving, they can't inherit heaven because God said, if you don't believe in me, you are already condemned. But those who believe have eternal life. Why stop there? I just want to ask you a sincere question. Why stop there? It's the third or fourth word or fifth word in that verse. It says the unbelieving will not inherit that. But what about the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the liars? What, what, what about the, the rest of the scripture, the rest of the verse? Throughout, you look at Galatians chapter 5 and it speaks about the acts of the flesh. And at the end of it, Paul says that anyone that practices those things will not inherit the kingdom. It is true that we are made righteous in the blood of Jesus, but those who are justified by the blood are sanctified by the Spirit. The proof that you've been justified is that you actually are living a sanctified, not perfect life by any stretch of the imagination but a progressive walk of godliness and holiness. Because if you are living a habitual life of sin, you are just like the unbelieving people who will not inherit the kingdom. Anybody that is persistently and willfully and habitually living in sin, they just proved that they may have made an emotional decision one upon a, once upon a time. Or they may belong to a church and a tradition. Or they may have come from a Christian uh, whatever heritage. But the reality is our justification is confirmed by our progressive journey of sanctification. Heaven is a holy place given for people who have been made holy because of Jesus and practically made holy as they walk with the Spirit. But the second thing about heaven, it tells us about our present life. See what Peter gives a foundation. He says, since, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Holy and godly in life. And, and then he finalizes it by saying, so then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with Him. He's speaking about our righteous, practical uh, living. Because otherwise He would say, think about it, declare it, 
uh, through some scriptures, you know, uh, preach it in the, in the streets. No, he's saying make every effort to be found. That is the, the cosmic event of the second coming has significant implication for individual believers and corporate believers. We need to make every effort to live a life that is spotless and blameless, a life that reveals the character of Christ. You see, our present must be implicated by our future in God. And the last thing that I want to share is uh, heaven and our perseverance, our steadfastness, our way of living here on earth in such a way that anticipates with patience and standing strong in the, in the grace in which we stand until the second coming of Christ. Peter tells them, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But on the other side, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He's saying, be forewarned and be on your guard lest you fall, lest you be carried away, lest you actually don't persevere and, 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 and uh, reveal by your uh, uh, insecure position that you have been deceived. The reality is we live our lives here on earth with steadfastness and making every effort and live in perseverance because we have an eternal abode awaiting us all. You see, uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. That means he persevered to the very end, not just how he started, but it's about how he finishes. It's the perseverance of the saints that is required of us by the blood of Jesus and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now there is in store for me, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, Paul is being motivated to persevere. He's being motivated to live a, a steadfast life, to fight the good fight, to finish the race to live and guard the faith. And he's saying, look, I have I've done all of this with the view of his appearing and anyone else that is living for his appearing, anyone else that is being motivated by the second coming, you also are going to have a crown. You might say to me, Peter, well, I don't really care about having a crown in heaven. I just, I just want to scrape into heaven. I want to do the least amount uh, and, and, and do the most amount of sin without getting in trouble, but the least amount of righteousness in order to scrape into heaven. I just want to get 51%, maybe 50% and go in. Uh, you know, keep the crown for you guys. Maybe because you don't have hair, you know, you need a crown to cover you up. But the reality is I want to show you what these crowns are for. In the book of Revelation, again in chapter 4 and verses 9 and 11, it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him, 
who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. The reason Paul worked so hard that he fought the good fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith, he endured all types of difficulties in order to maintain, uh, uh, the, 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 to keep the, the gospel uh, pure and to live a life that honors God by example and by teaching is because he knew that the crown that he will receive will be his token of gratitude that he will lay at the feet of Christ. We do everything we can on earth with one motivation, not to get crowned so we feel holier than now in heaven. There is no envy. There is no competition, no such thing in heaven. All of us will receive crowns in order to give them at the feet of him who sits on the throne. And if that's not enough motivation to live a godly, holy, persevering life on earth, what will it give us? What else will give us motivation? I want to finish off this mini-series by saying, believers pursue holiness in preparation for their eternal holy home. On earth, Believers gather the only tokens of gratitude they can lay at the throne. There is no uh, flower shops in heaven. There is no chocolate shops that you can purchase something and lay it at the feet of Jesus to say thank you for His goodness, for His kindness, for His lavish uh, grace over us because of His salvation on the cross. You can't ever imagine the protection that He provided for us on earth, the vision, things that we've been oblivious to, we'll go there and, and we'll see His kindness over our life and say, I wish, I wish, I wish I could get you the best gift ever. But, but, but you try to purchase crowns in heaven, there is no shops. You try to purchase flowers, there's no shops. You can't do anything. You say, I wish, I wish I was able to get, accumulate a crown that I can lay at the feet. Figuratively speaking, you wish you can lay something at the feet of Jesus to give Him your honor and your gratitude and your love. And you can do that now. That's why we live a godly life that honors Jesus, that reflects His character regardless of how hard it may seem. The power of the Spirit enables us so that we could live a life that blesses God's heart, pleases Him. He says, when, we, when I come back, if you're ready, oh my goodness, I will serve you. I will blow your expectations because servants do not expect their master to serve them. But God will totally blow our expectations as we meet with Him and will live with Him forever. May this very simple fact provoke within you a desire to live a godly, holy life here on earth. And that's our prayer for you. Be utterly blessed. 